the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. It's not easy to build and maintain a healthy, loving relationship. Sometimes it may feel impossible, but according to today's guest, Dr. Catherine Ford, while it is no small feat, it is possible. Dr. Ford joins us to discuss how we can create a successful relationship. Dr. Ford's been practicing psychotherapy in private practice for more than 20 years. She received her MD from Brown University Medical School and completed her psychiatry residency at the Stanford School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Ford. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. It's good to be talking to you. So, Catherine, what is it that is happening with our relationships today? What are the trends showing us? Well, as everyone knows, the the biggest recent trend is uh, people's attempts to adjust to COVID and uh, the the changes in their life around that. And uh, that has varied depending on whether you're in a constant relationship that with someone that you live with all the time or whether you were in a phase of your life where a lot of your relationships happened outside of your own home and therefore were more restricted in certain ways. Um, the general reflection about that, I think, has been that all kinds of relationships were in more trouble because of this relative isolation restriction of normal activity, et cetera. Uh, that's not actually my experience with the people I've talked to in my practice and in my own personal life. I think that there's been a lot of variability. I think like a lot of crisis points, it's it's accentuated and or accelerated whatever the trend was. So relationships that were struggling um, were the people in them were more aware of those struggles. And in other cases, it brought people closer together uh, by having a little more time together, a little less distraction, a little less complexity. So it's uh, that's the most recent trend. I think the the other trends, you know, everyone is also aware of, uh, have to do with um, people questioning um, the types of relationships they want to have, the variety of them, uh, the longevity of them, and. Uh, so I think there's there's a lot of different trends going on right now. Well, and I think people are questioning so many aspects of their lives today. You know, their job, the relationships with particular friends, um, family, loved ones. I mean, there's just, I don't know, in, in, in some level, it seems like there is some type of a personal awakening taking place. Do you find that mm-hmm. to be the case? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think that as people notice that the the ways they were taught to do things, the ways that we've done things for for the past couple of generations um, are not working that well anymore. People are innovating more and, and questioning and trying out new things. And uh, there's a lot of experimentation going on right now, um, which has <clears throat> strain related to it but as well as uh, invigoration and uh, innovation. Well, you mentioned past generations. When I look at my family, my parents were married 56 years when my father passed away. My grandparents made it to 72 years when my grandfather passed away. 
Did they know something about relationships that we didn't? Why do you think we have so many more divorces today? Or, or why are relationships so much more challenging today? You know, there's been a couple of, of things talked about about that. And, you know, when we say today, it is true today, but also we've been noticing those trends for, you know, at least a generation in terms of the divorce rates rising and people changing partners more often, just as they've changed jobs more often. Um, I think some of it has to do, again, with having more choices and more options. Some of it also has to do with the the, uh, relationships in the past didn't, in terms of options of how to survive at a a kind of a basic maintaining oneself level, uh, going back a couple of generations, survival wasn't that easy for a lot of people. And you really needed a family unit and often an extended family unit to make a go of it. And this was particularly true, of course, of, of people that were living, you know, close to a subsistence level. It was very important that there be several people in a family cluster working together to get the crops in or to make sure that the, the house stayed repaired. And that's not so much true anymore. And as well, I think people are are not as prone to have extended family around, which puts definitely more strain on the nuclear family and on couples in terms of holding holding things together. And so as as couples look at that, uh, the 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 downside of trying to maintain continuity became more apparent. And I don't think we know yet what to do about relationships where it's not about survival, it's about quality of life and ongoing development. Um, A lot of couples come to me and ask me, why is this so hard? It shouldn't be so hard. And of course, a lot of what they tend to assume is this is hard because there's something wrong with me, or there's something wrong with you, or there's something wrong with the fact that we got together. And what I find actually and in, in, end up emphasizing to them is actually being a couple in the way that many couples are trying to be a couple right now, and that extends to all relationships, really. We actually expect more from relationships in a certain way. We expect to be listened to well. We expect to be understood. We expect to um, have our our cherished ideas uh, entertained in a, in a pretty um, psychological and sophisticated way. And it, and we don't exactly know how to do that yet. And so I think being a couple and being in serious relationships of any kind, uh, parent-child relationships, uh, deep friendships that are long-lasting, requires a great deal of self-development and and willingness to learn and interest in learning. A lot of the issues then can arrive from the expectations we place on these relationships. We're looking for another person to complete us rather than complement us. Uh, I, I, I stuttered around the word complete because I don't know I, if, we're, if we're aiming at completion, then that's um, that's in the direction of what I think of in terms of development. I, I, I hesitate because I think sometimes the word completion in the context of relationship has those connotations of this is the rest of me or this is what I need to feel complete in life. So maybe fulfillment is a better word? In terms of, yeah, fulfillment or, or development, mm-hmm. of exploring, of figuring out things about life that... Uh, that take a lifetime and beyond to figure out. And so the completion of oneself is an ongoing project, and it, it doesn't end. We, we are constantly going towards completing or revising ourselves. It's, it, it's not unidirectional. We, we might go in one direction for a while and then find ourselves turning a corner to develop in a different direction. Well, the reason I asked that question, Catherine, was because I know a lot of women who, um, you know, they, they get into middle age and the family's grown and, and they had given everything to the family. They looked to the family for their personal satisfaction, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for their growth. And then one day it was, well, I'm not happy with any of this anymore because I don't even know who I am. So when I was asking that question, yeah. I, I guess what I meant was, is it that we're looking for the relationship to bring us our happiness, to give us all that we need, rather than making it be something that does give us joy in addition to what we've created and done mm-hmm. for ourselves? 
Yeah, I think when we look to relationship to bring us happiness, that is when we end up unhappy. Right. <laughs> Relationships bring us happiness in certain moments, and they also bring us all kinds of other things, um, anger, frustration, uh, tears, uh, resentments. Um, so relationships are a source of, I would say, intensification of experience. And what relationships really bring us is an opportunity to explore and to learn more. And the and what we're exploring and learning more about is ourselves. And so the 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 looking for happiness happens best as we start to understand our own. Um, personhood and how to deploy that in life, especially in relationships, so that we feel good. And in relationships, generally speaking, when we're when we're talking about happiness or or what we want in relationships, we're talking about wanting as as much as possible of those moments of feeling solidly connected, openly connected, and safely connected. And people are constantly with each other trying to optimize for the connection safety thing. Uh, we don't like feeling connected when it feels unsafe. And we also don't like feeling not connected. And so people have different amounts of connection they want, and they certainly have different kinds of relationships that they want to, to fulfill those connections. But by and large, human beings are, are very well equipped and kind of um, designed to connect to each other. And on the other hand, we're also very well designed to have um, almost like a startle or, or safety response when when we feel like the other person is acting more like a foe than a friend. Mm -hmm. And so it's a tricky thing to kind of navigate this territory of how to get the right connection without triggering each other into this defensive, uh, frightened posture, posture that we go into when we feel like the other person is beginning to behave um, in a not-so-friendly way. When a relationship has been broken due to something big, like an affair or some other type of betrayal, can it be saved? Yes, uh, but you're asking the right question, and it's kind of a big question that comes up a lot. Um, it can, and it's not easy. So, so partly whether or not that relationship will survive that that particular trauma and, and affairs are definitely traumatic to relationships uh, depends on a lot of things and partly it depends on the each individual's interest in getting past that trauma. Um, it will take a while, it'll take probably longer than you want it to take and it'll take a lot more work and, and again it's an intensification of the learning about yourself and about how you're going to connect to this person including the fact that now you've introduced something that uh, in terms of that connection safety quotient now you've really amplified the moments um, and the intensity of the moments where you feel that you're not safe uh, you've 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 messed with a certain territory of safety and so Winning that back is going to take not only a lot of hard work, but also a lot of courage and often some extra knowledge that you didn't have before about how do you repair something that large. And repair in relationships is, is maybe the most important thing because if we're trying to be safe by making sure that we never make any mistakes, by making sure that we never get hurt, um, people often say, I don't want to be hurt again. And that's kind of a non-starter for any relationship. Relationships being what they are involve injuring each other and hurting each other. And the goal of trying not to do that and trying to be perfect and not make mistakes is, 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 a, is unrealistic. Um, what we need instead is to know how to repair injuries. And, of course, the injuries of an affair are an especially large case of that. And how do you navigate a relationship when you have different styles of handling conflict? For example, one person likes to deal with the conflict head on, discuss it, work through it. Mm -hmm. The other person runs away and can't face things and just kind of denies that there's even a problem. How do you navigate something mm -hmm. like that? Yeah, that comes up a lot. Um, and, and what you've said already is an important part of dealing with it is to understand that, that you're going to have different styles of dealing with difficulties. Um, it, and this comes up with difficult moments in the relationship. It also happens when something external to the relationship happens. For instance, um, 
the the lockdown that we experienced at the beginning of the the COVID uh, pandemic crisis, uh, people have very different styles of reacting to strain, whether it's inside the relationship or outside. So the beginning point is knowing that that's true, knowing that there's there's no right or wrong about that. That some people prefer, for example, uh, when there's a there's a problem, they'd like to go off and think about it for a while by themselves before talking about it, and that feels more comfortable and more productive to them. And other people um, do their best thinking while they're talking, and they kind of think out loud. And so they need contact and conversation in order to figure out how they feel about things. And so part of it is simply understanding that these differences are going to happen, and that if you're in a serious relationship, what you're trying to do is optimize for what's good for the relationship as well as what's good for each of you. And so you're trying to figure out what do we each need, and also, since what we each need is to be connected, how do we best do that in this particular partnership? But knowing that that's the goal, that what you can't, what you can't afford if you're in a serious relationship is to disregard the importance of the connection to each of you. It's tempting to do that, and connecting becomes too hard. Um, a lot of us, you know, the style is just to want to turn our backs and say, I don't need that. Uh, but in fact, it's, it's very, the rare individual that doesn't need that connection with a few special people in their life. And so working together as a team so that you're optimizing for what do you each need in order to be connected um, is kind of what the, what the project becomes. This would pertain to a love relationship, but also any type of friendship as well. And, and I guess the, the point yes. there is the understanding, because when you are the type of person who likes to talk things through and the other person avoids, it's very easy to feel like the other person doesn't care. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and, and that's where over-communicating can come in very handy. People often want their their close associates, whether it's their domestic partner or, as you said, a close friend. We have a natural desire to want the other person to read our minds and to know us so thoroughly that they automatically know what we need. But in fact, good communication and good connection between people that are intimates involves a combination of knowing each other very well and at times anticipating what the other person needs and at other times needing a lot of communication about that. And especially if there's extra strain or extra crisis, um, assuming that the other person should just know that you need time alone is maybe not going to work out the best um, probably better, especially if the other person seems to be getting agitated about that, is to take time to explain, look, I get that uh, that you're feeling anxious right now. I'm feeling anxious also. Um, I would like to talk to you. I think I'm going to need a little time by myself to kind of figure out where I am. I'll get back to you. And so you give a lot of communication about what's going on, why you're pulling away, because while we respond very strongly to each other's nonverbal communications, they're not very articulate. And that's where the thing comes in of mind reading. If you know somebody pretty well, you do a better job of guessing what a nonverbal communication, like the other person disappearing for a few days, might mean. But let's say you don't know them that well or you haven't yet figured out that this person takes distance in order to um, sue themselves and be ready to, to make contact. Uh, some explicit conversation about that before you, before you go away for your two or three days of alone time can be awfully helpful. And so we've been talking about some of the problems in relationships, but Catherine, what are some of the things that we can do to create a loving, lasting union, whether it be with a friend or a loved one? That's, that's a really good question, and, and I, I love that question because too often we think in terms of relationships as the whole thing is about solving the problems. And in fact, um, we don't get very far solving problems um, because the relationship, most of all, needs to keep growing and be a place of exploration and risk-taking. So what can we do that, that builds that and builds the strength of the relationship? Um, I talk a lot with people about uh, paying attention to the amount of openness. So understanding that at any moment, 
um, you need to be aware of your own openness for connection and the other person's openness for connection can go a long way in terms of having the ability to connect when the when the conditions are right and having the sensitivity to know when that is can result in a lot of wonderful moments for couples that they otherwise might miss out on for not understanding that there's going to be this variability throughout the course of an hour, throughout the course of a day, and certainly throughout the course of a relationship. There's a variability for connection and knowing sort of when to, when to stop on red and go on green uh, makes a big difference in terms of having the good times. As well, uh, people underestimate the importance of um, being explicit about appreciations and positive comments. Again, we're, we're, our brains are, are biased towards noticing the problems, trying to fix the problems, and calling out the difficulties. So we have to make an extra effort, and, and, and it's important to know that that's a, that's a, a bias of your, of your neurology so that you do have to overcome it. It's not going to come naturally in general to pay as much attention to what's going right as what's going wrong, and yet that's what relationships feed on. So developing the habit of you know, several times a day, I usually say at least three times a day, you should be making some kind of positive comment to the people that you're closest to, the people you live with, your good friends, you know, make it a habit that, that those little things that you notice but maybe don't quite notice that you notice, like you pull in the driveway and instead of the other person's car being parked awkwardly like they usually do so that you have to go in and ask them to move their car, you, you pull in the driveway and the car is nice and straight and you can get your car easily just like you always hope. Do you remember when you walk through the door to call out and say, hey, thanks for leaving the driveway clear. That was totally cool. And it can feel so good to be acknowledged for the extra effort that it takes to do this combining of households, of emotional moments, and all the little, the little moments that you notice something cool about this other person, um, whether it's a compliment, gee, I like the way you cooked the lasagna tonight, that was delicious, or thanks for parking your car straight, or, you know, thanks for remembering to pick up the dry cleaning, even something that minor. Um, we, like, we like to know that these extra efforts that we're going to to make life good for other people um, are helping and are being noticed and, and make a difference. And so that's, they're nurturing that ability to feel good about what you're contributing to each other's lives is really important. Catherine, how important is it to an intimate bond to know that someone else has your back? Like that feeling of being, you know, this is the person I can count on to always stand with me and protect me. Is that important? Mm, mm, mm. Um, I'm loving your questions, Joan. It's clear that you've you've thought a lot about relationships um, because you're you're asking, I think, the things that are both the most important and the most on people's minds. Um, that that having your back feeling is, I don't know, maybe that maybe that's the most important thing we should we should mention today. Um, it relates to when people say, well, how do you know that it's love? What is love anyway? And, of course, that's a, a burning question forever. And my way of relating to what is love is exactly that. Love is when you, you hold the other person's needs and interests and feelings in the same way that you hold your own. And so when you're trying to problem solve for a particular situation, let's take something mundane, like you're trying to figure out where to go for your vacation. Mundane, though I assure you many, many um, tense moments have happened between couples and families about that exact question. Um, do, you, do you hold it as important that the person that you're going on vacation with loves to go to the mountains and that's where they feel the most refreshed? Do you hold that as importantly as you hold the fact that actually that's not true for you and you really need to get to the beach? Um, and do you hold those two things equally so that when you're in the process of figuring out how to go forward, you're not just solving for your own needs, you're solving for the other person's needs. And of course, if they're doing the same, then that kind of mutuality is what, is what really works and is what I mean when I say it's important to, to put the relationship first. What I really mean is what 
nurtures relationships is when you're mutually holding each other's needs and so that it's not a tug of war with in a in a relationship of adversaries you have two people squared off kind of um, in a power struggle over whose needs are going to get met and you don't want to find yourself in an adversarial position with people you're close to and that you want to feel connected to you want to feel like we're both we're both looking after each other and that's the you've got my back feeling. And I think, you know, as you were speaking, I, I was thinking about when you're in a relationship, and I know for myself, that's probably one of the most important things for me to feel loved is that I know someone standing by my side, going through life together mm-hmm. with me. And, you know, right or wrong, mm-hmm. it, it's like you want that person. I, you've seen those jokes where, you know, your best friend will go to prison with you, you know, like whether it's right or right. wrong, you <laughs> want to know that there's somebody who's just taking on life with you and getting rid of anyone yeah. who would hurt you. Yes, exactly. And and who and by the way, uh, a corollary to that, kind of important, is that holding the other person's interests equal to your own is not the same thing as um, as constantly being self-sacrificing. Sometimes people think that what a relationship needs and benefits by is for them to be unselfish, for them constantly to be featuring the other person's needs and priorities. And actually, that's not what a relationship needs, because what it really needs is for you to figure out, is this a moment where the relationship and both of us will benefit if I do that? And sometimes it is. And at other times, the relationship is going to benefit by you kind of insisting that both of you look at what you need. And so it's not the same thing as being self-sacrificing. It's more a matter of taking on something more complicated than self. Self-sacrificing in a certain way simplifies things. You just constantly go for, I'll give up what I want. More complicated is to figure out a sort of calculus of, well, I want to need this right now. You want to need something kind of different. In going forward, how can we minimize what we have to give up as a as a team, as a, as a partnership, and maximize the benefits. And that's a little bit more complicated, but, but much more beneficial. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, we all want to give love and we want to feel loved. And I'm so happy that you were here to just give us some tips and strategies to help us build and maintain strong and loving relationships. If our listeners would like to get more information about Catherine and her work, you can visit CatherineFordMD.com. Again, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jones. It's been a pleasure to talk about relationships. This is Conversations with Jones. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. Did you know that hypnosis can help support someone with their breast cancer diagnosis? Hi, I am Mary Beth Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner. It can feel overwhelming and scary to be diagnosed with breast cancer. Hypnosis helps reinforce support in your treatments by utilizing verbiage and visualization so you see the tumors shrinking and leaving your body. Hypnosis supports the mind so you feel that you have the power to help yourself heal and even bring in healing light 
to the body. Hypnosis helps you deal with the emotional turmoil. With hypnotherapy, you can look within at the cancer to gain insight and find out if there is an emotional connection to it and then you can release it. Hypnosis helps heal the mind, body, and spirit. An openness to hypnosis can connect you to the support, love, and healing that you never thought possible. I am Mary Beth Battaglia, and you can find more information about me and hypnosis at my website, metrohypnosiscenter.com. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. What if you could control time, slow the ticking of the clock, and have the hours, minutes, and years of your life work for you instead of against you? Today's guest, Lisa Broderick, teaches us how to use time in our own lives to increase productivity, satisfaction, and even joy. Lisa is the author of the book, All the Time in the World, Learn to Control Your Experience of Time to Live a Life Without Limitations. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Joan, thank you so much for having me. Lisa, time is certainly something we all wish we had more of. I hear people more and more saying, I can't believe how quickly the weeks, days, and months are going by. Is it because we are so busy that it seems to be going faster? Is that our perception of it? Well, there are a lot of theories about that. One is a theory about age in the brain. And that is, as people age, their brain takes fewer snapshots of memories. And so when we're a child, our brain is agile, and we're taking many, many snapshots. And the endless summers, when we're five, six, and seven, would seem to go on and on and on. And we live our lives, and we have this wonderful existence. We, go, we grow older, and time seems to pass more quickly. And the theory is that your brain, one's brain, as it ages, is taking fewer snapshots. So you jump from snapshot to snapshot to snapshot, memory to memory to memory, as though they were all moving, uh, all, all, as though they were all single events, but in fact they are they are separated by great distances in quote time in your experience. So that's why for people who are older, they may experience time as moving much more quickly than people who are younger. With the pandemic, what I learned in my research was it didn't really matter the age or the experience. It really mattered how people moved around in their lives, what they thought was expected of them. Did they get to stay home for an entire year? in which case it might have seemed like one long day, like Groundhog Day being repeated over and over. It's nothing changed. But if there's no change, there's no perception of time. So how can we use this information then to increase our productivity? That's something that I really wanted to focus on in the book. What we could do is we can change our perception part in our daily lives and the busyness of our lives to make the most of that equation. So here's how you might do that. Let's say that you have a really big uh, project due, and it's due tomorrow, and now we're here today. And so going through the exercise and thinking about it, and you're a little worried about it, and there's a deadline, and you might not have finished everything. All of the worry and the consternation is really not very productive, as we all know. So how might you channel that into a way to be very productive about it? And so in the book, I talk about a, an exercise called Don't Let the Future Slow You Down, where you would actually live the experience of having completed the exercise as a meditative practice that I take you through in the book, where when you live the experience of having finished it, the joy, the sensorial, the visceral feeling of pressing send on the email, of handing it to someone, of putting the, the last period after the last sentence is something that's so powerful that I find that our perception of what the project is changes, our fear that it will not be completed melts away, the effortlessness with which we dive into it, because in some sense, we have experienced it already being done and perfect and complete with nothing more to do, releases us from all of the fear that would hold us back. So that that uh, particular exercise, Don't Let the Future Slow You Down, is one way we can apply this to our daily lives. And I personally use it every day of my life for decades in order to make things easier and to not waste time on things that I might be concerned about not being able to complete. And then within that, there's some dynamic 
there's a dynamic interaction between our thoughts and physical reality. Science has pointed to this, in particular quantum science, where I believe we do have the opportunity to impact our physical reality, making the completion of that project actually easier. So you just use an actual project as an example. Would this exercise work for something that we hope to achieve or something we dream about doing? Oh, absolutely. I use that frequently. I work in the nonprofit world in addition to the book, and so I work with social justice and policing. And I often have dreams of change and bigger things that I would like to happen. And I use the, the exercise in the same way, where I may dream that, uh, that an interaction or something that I might do would have an impact on the nation in a much bigger way. And just like finishing the project, what I do is I live the visceral experience in all of its sensory wonderfulness, the sights, the smells, the sound, what I'm hearing, what I'm doing, that experience of having it happen to me, and then knowing in my mind as I'm experiencing it, it's done, it's complete, there's nothing more to do. And then, of course, I let the experience go, as many meditative teachers do when we, when we work with people who are working on exercises like this. Just let it go and go on and live your lives. And one day we wake up, this often happens to me, or I get a phone call and someone's smiling or laughing or just sharing with me what happened, that it actually came true pretty much like that. And they remembered they had done the exercise. And how wonderful it was that they never worried that it wasn't going to happen. It was one and done. They lived it. They lived the dream. They lived the experience of it. They let it go. And then one day, they actually experienced it. And I think it really is a wonderful practice because so many of us, as you said earlier, we live in fear and that fear keeps us stuck. We never take chances or follow anything that we dream about. So I have a theory about how people and why people experience, in particular, slowed down time. Now, slowed down time, many of us may have experienced it. So with these weird uh, experiences, episodes, where time doesn't seem to pass as normal, and it's usually greatly slowed down time because of something we're doing or experiencing it. Now, athletes experience this on the field. Of course, that's not danger usually, but certainly high-performance car drivers, right? And, uh, And also people very often in car accidents. So, for instance, Don Miguel Ruiz, the wonderful author, so generously did the foreword to the book. And in it, he explains, while in medical school in Mexico City, how he was in an awful car crash. And experiencing slowed down time, he was able to move out of the way of the steering column so that he did not impale himself, so that he didn't die in the car crash. Those stories are much more common than we may think. So that was an experience of a feeling of danger which I believe is different than the emotion of fear. When fear occurs, as you said, Joan, it is a different sort of experience. It shuts us down. Our brain moves faster. Our blood moves faster. Our heart pumps faster. Our, me- our muscles tense. None of that seems to happen when people experience this innate sense of danger or a sense of flow, as athletes do on the field. There's a different brain wave, I believe, that occurs in the brain, which allows people to experience slowed down time. So my question is, How can we invoke that brainwave more and more in our lives to slow down the field, to slow down time, to remove fear, and to truly live a life without limitations? So we've been talking about moving forward in time, visualizing the way we may want things to turn out. But what about experiences from our past? Can any of these exercises help us to heal old wounds or traumas? Yes, trauma is a sense of of perceived fear for the future in some way. We're projecting something that happened to us in the past into the future as though it might happen again. These traumatic experiences can be mundane, they can be awful, and really affect people's lives. And what they do is they do slow us down. They change our current reality and our potential future reality by having us live in fear, by curbing what we might normally say or do out of fear that something might happen. So in in exercises, I take people back into the experience. Just as we did with Don't Let the Future Slow You Down, we can not let the past hold us back. So in the same type of exercise, we live an experience of something that we've had that has happened to us. And some of the stories in the book are quite, quite moving. A young man who who was responsible or feels responsible for the death of another. A, A woman who was violated as a child. These are horrible experiences. But for, for a type of trauma which we could deal with in, in a non-clinical setting, we might sit ourselves down, relive the experience just as we did with the wonderful experience, get to the point where the trauma occurs, 
and then stop ourselves. And I take people through this practical exercise where we change the ending, change what happens. To the child who might have been harmed, an adult comes and saves them, or their adult self, which is a very powerful image. To the young man who feels responsible because he was tending bar and he sent someone off and they died, he didn't provide them that last drink, or he called them a car. Whatever it was, or it could be mundane. I had an experience where I had a conversation with someone that didn't go well, and I felt badly about it, about how I, how I sounded and what they said. I relived the experience and I changed that. Now, Joan, it's not going to change what actually happens, but it does change how we feel about it. And as you and I have talked about fear, it eliminates the fear. It melts away the fear so that how we show up in the next moment, in the next situation is free of that fear and it is different. And when it is different, then we can live lives of limitless possibilities because we're not limiting ourselves with that own fear. The book is All the Time in the World, Learn to Control Your Experience of Time to Live a Life Without Limitations. If you'd like to get more information about Lisa and her work, you can visit lisabroderick.com. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. It has really been a pleasure having you on the show. Joan, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How important is stress management? Hi, I'm Allison Ayati. I'm a musician, sound therapist, and the creator of The Sound Life, a lifestyle app for relaxation and meditation through sound and music. Because stress is a part of everyone's everyday life, and stress management is very important. Having tools and techniques to manage stress can have a significant impact on your health and well-being. Most people associate stress with circumstances that cause psychological disturbance, but stress is anything that disrupts balance in the way you function. Since eliminating stress is not really realistic, it is important to focus on stress management, and one very significant and impactful method is relaxation. If you're someone who says, I don't know how to relax, you're not alone. Relaxation is learned behavior. If it was not something that had to be learned, then relaxation techniques would not be something that are taught. When you learn how to relax, then you can control your response to stress and support your mental, emotional, and physical well-being. Learning to manage stress through relaxation will strengthen your response to stress, giving you greater resilience to life's challenges and surprises. I'm Allison Ayati, and I want to help you learn an easy and effective relaxation technique with sound and music for stress management. To learn more, go to livingthesoundlife.com. Have you ever thought about what would happen if you or your spouse couldn't work because of sickness or injury? Would your group benefits be enough? If you don't have any protection, how quickly would your savings last to pay for everyday bills and maintaining the life that you love? Hi, my name is Kate Toby, financial services professional with the Fortis Agency. I'm here to share some tips on what you should consider when looking into protecting your income. Many people don't realize how much their disability insurance policies will pay out in the event of an injury or illness. It is important to understand your policies, especially when you get a promotion or pay increase, to see if there are any new gaps in your coverage. It is also beneficial to know how long your benefits will last in the event you can't work because you are sick or hurt. This time frame can vary by months or years, depending on the plan that you have. If you have any questions about your current policies, speak to your financial advisor to see if the coverage is enough for your situation. For more information on disability insurance, send me an email at ktoby at thefortisagency.com. Joining us today is Emanuela Vassoni, a certified health and life coach who has helped people experience breakthroughs in their health and lives. She is the author of the book, Healing Through Nature's Medicine. Emanuela is here today to discuss addressing thyroid-related health disorders naturally. Welcome, Emanuela. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan, for having me. Emanuela, as I'm getting older, it seems to me that a lot of my friends, a lot of people in my inner circle... These women are dealing with thyroid issues, and a lot of them are medicated for it. What are a few of the most common thyroid issues that people experience? Well, Joan, there's several different disorders that can arise when your thyroid produces either too many hormones, which is hyperthyroidism, and not enough hormones is hypothyroidism. There's also four common disorders of the thyroid, which are Hashimoto's, Graves, 
goiter nodules and thyroid nodules. When a person is diagnosed with a thyroid condition, as I said, a lot of people I know are on medication, is it possible to heal a thyroid without meds? Absolutely. That's exactly what I did. When I was first diagnosed with a thyroid issue, I was very fatigued and I couldn't lose weight. It was hair loss and everything. So for me, my doctor wanted me to go to an endocrinologist to put me on meds. And I really just felt in my intuition was just extremely not to go that way, that the body can heal itself. So, Emanuela, what is the best way to approach a thyroid issue? The thyroid gland, and in general, the granular system, takes over the burden of detoxification, which is the internal cleaning mechanism that the body has. When the regular channels of elimination are overburdened, so the first thing on your to-do list when you have a thyroid problem is to pay attention to and help your detoxification organs, which are the intestinal tract, your liver, your kidneys, and your lungs to function at full effectiveness. Doing this job will assist in relieving any detoxification burden that's being put on the thyroid gland. Here's an explanation of how the detoxification system is related to the granular system. Certain forms of harmful bacteria can produce toxic substances in the intestinal tract. These toxic substances travel to the liver from the intestines and impair the liver's ability to manufacture and utilize T3. And T3 is a relative of thyroxine, and it helps regulate the speed of metabolism in the tissues. So friendly bacteria are very important to stop harmful bacteria from producing these toxic symptoms and actual uh, substances. As a result of repopulating your intestinal tract with potentially friendly bacteria, your liver should be uh, should have an increased ability to function normally, and this could indirectly support your thyroid gland. When you choose your friendly bacteria supplements, make sure that they do that they're micro blended with a whole food rich in minerals, which for me is acidophilus and bifids that are micro blended with organic uh, microalgae. And this the minerals and algae enable the friendly bacteria to increase their speed of multiplication in the gut and will also increase the total number of organisms, which are the friendly bacteria, that will eventually flourish in your intestine. Then the second thing on your to-do list should be to make sure you're getting enough minerals in your diet, which are iodine, iron, and selenium. In the past, doctors used to think that a deficiency in iodine alone was the cause of dysfunction of the thyroid gland. But it's actually known today that selenium is a crucial and critical part of activating an enzyme responsible for controlling thyroid hormones and thyroid function. So, however, taking an isolated iodine or selenium uh, supplement is not a good idea because humans require only a few micrograms of selenium of actually these nutrients every day to meet daily needs. So too much of either of these minerals can produce toxicity. So for me, and, and obviously every, everyone that I recommend it to, it's best to choose foods that are high in these minerals. And organic microalgae is one of them. There's wakami, arami, and also other sea vegetables that are high in iodine and selenium. So when consumed as part of the whole food, these minerals can be assimilated and utilized for thyroid hormone synthesis by using your body without fear of toxicity. Then the other um, dietary recommendations that I would also make would be enzyme therapy. So since the endocrine glands are driven by digested foods, correcting any digestive problems with the use of digestive issues is a great idea. Then there's also adding more fruits and fruit smoothies are important to help modulate blood sugar and calm the adrenal glands and normalize 
production of thyroid hormones. Also, don't drink tap water. Some city waters contain uh, um, organic hydrocarbons, which can result in blocking the activity of thyroid hormones. So make sure you're drinking spring water only. Discard all nonstick cookware because it contains fluoride, which can cripple the thyroid. And keep in mind, too, that fluoride in toothpaste or processed cereals and soda do the same thing. And that's really what I did. I just chipped up my detoxification system. I cleaned up my diet and um, I added the much needed minerals and supplements that my body needed to do the work on its own and start to fight back and, re- and restore my thyroid back to health. Emanuela, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Emanuela and her work, you can visit embodyvitality.net. And as always, to hear more from Emanuela, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Emanuela. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. You've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done. And you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 